you have a Bible and want to follow along this morning, we'll be studying from Mark, the 14th chapter. If you want to turn there and mark that spot, pun intended, we'll begin reading in verse 53. Mark, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Skipping down to verse 66, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also are with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again, and a little later those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. We've selected Mark's gospel account this morning because Mark, according to tradition, wrote under the direction of Peter, of whom this narrative is about. And the title of our sermon is taken specifically from verse 54, where he read that Peter had followed him, speaking of Jesus, at a distance. The theme of following Jesus is prevalent throughout the gospels, and it meant so much more than physical proximity. In Mark 3, we read where Jesus called the twelve to be with him. That was to engage in daily interaction and instruction, to go where Jesus called them to go, to be who Jesus called them to be, to do what Jesus called them to do. That was the commitment they made, and that was the commitment we made when we became Christians. But how often is our moments of adversity when we're tried, we have trials and tribulations, our faith is tested, and Pretty soon we begin to drift, we begin to digress, and we begin to try to follow Jesus from a distance. And it's that issue we want to study for a little while this morning, and we want to take a problem, cause, solution approach to our subject this morning. We want to begin by defining our problem, because as we often say, you can't solve a problem until you admit that you have a problem, until you recognize and appreciate, I've drifted, I've digressed in some way. So what are the symptoms of that? What are the signs that we can look for in our lives that there's distance in our relationship with the Lord? I think the overarching sign and symptom, obviously, is sin. In Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man of the Lord. And that's what sin, that's what sinful activity does to us. It causes us to withdraw from God and from godly people. Think about all the various forms of sin, immorality, immodesty, impure thoughts, impure language. The things Peter did to make it clear, I don't know the man, was he used strong language. He cursed and he swore. And so our thoughts, our words, our actions reflect, tell the story of whether or not we're close to Jesus. Because if I'm close to Jesus, if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm going to be righteous through His righteousness. But I can't be righteous at a distance. When Peter drifted and fell behind and began to try to follow Jesus from a distance, he began to do and say things that he swore he would never do. Vain worship is another common symptom that we've drifted, that we've digressed spiritually. Matthew 15, 8 9, This people draweth nigh or near to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If I'm close to Christ, if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I find the right motive. I find the right attitude, the right spirit, the right heart. Jesus constantly emphasized the importance of our heart in places like the Sermon on the Mount. We understand the why. We've discovered the why behind the what and the how. And we start with why before the what and the how. And if we don't do that for ourselves, for our children, our young people, we will become and we will raise modern-day Pharisees who are outwardly, look outwardly close to Jesus while inwardly our heart is far from Him. So if I'm doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, or I'm just going through the motions, I'm following from a distance. My heart is far from Him. A lack of involvement. John 21, after His resurrection, after Peter had denied the Lord and had tried to follow Him from a distance, Jesus appears to him and says, Do you love me? Philia, friendship love, Philadelphia love. Do you love me in that way? Do you have an affection for me? You know I love you. Do you love me a second time? Same word, philia, affection. You know I love you. Third time, agape. Do you love me? Greek word agape. Love is a decision. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Sacrificial love. Godly love. And it grieved Peter that he asked him a third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Each time, feed my sheep. If you love me, if you're committed and devoted to me, get involved in my kingdom. We talk about being in Christ. You can't be in Christ and not be in the body of Christ, the church of Christ. In Christ means involved in His church, in His kingdom. And yet we talk in organizations, sadly even in the church, 10% do 90% of the work. And I want to tell you, if you're in the 90%, you're following from a distance. Travel to different congregations sometimes and talking to leadership there, elders there, and sometimes I'll even say, you know, who are your core members? You know, these are our core members. And I, it's tragic that we have such a phrase in our vernacular. I wish we didn't, but I think we know the concept. Who shows up? Who's involved? Who's helping the church grow and thrive? And this is the problem with many. They're interested, but they're not involved. They're fans, but they're not followers. Peter wanted to watch and see what happened, but he didn't want to get involved. I want to tell you, you can't be involved at a distance. You can't be involved while completely absent. That speaks to the problem of many. At least Peter was falling from a distance. I mean, the rest of the disciples completely forsook the Lord. And sometimes maybe the truth is we're not falling from a distance. We're not following at all in regards to our prayer life and our study habits. Assembling, evangelism, spreading the gospel, the mission of the church, ministry, fellowship. You know, many want to keep the Lord and His church at arm's length, and we become that a far-off Christian seeking to get by with the bare minimum involvement. Think about when Jesus was preaching or teaching on forgiveness, and what was Peter's reaction to that? How many times? What's the bare minimum? What's the threshold? How, give me a number. Seven times? And I want to tell you, if we have this bare minimum involvement attitude, we're not close to Christ. Because when we get close to Christ, we learn to go the extra mile. We learn to go the distance. So similarly, a lack of growth, a lack of production, a lack of fruit is evidence that we're following from a distance. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me 
And I in him, the same, bringeth forth much fruit. If that's where we're living, if that's where we're abiding, not only are we going to be productive and bring forth fruit, we're going to bring forth much fruit. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, application, the fruits of the Spirit, good works. We talk about the fruit of a husband and wife as another person. Some of the fruit that we should be producing if we're close to Christ is more Christians. But I want to tell you, we can't influence others to be close to Christ and to stay close to Christ if we're not there ourselves. You know, Peter missed a wonderful opportunity in this moment to encourage his brethren to stay faithful, to stay close to Christ and not forsake the Lord. He missed a wonderful opportunity to proclaim to those around him, asking about his relationship with Jesus, to say, I was that, now I'm this, and in between was Jesus. And it changed everything. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. How often do we miss these opportunities on a daily basis to encourage the brethren to stay faithful, to stay close, or to proclaim to the world around us that we know Jesus and He's the best thing that ever happened to me? But yet, through our apathy, our attitude, our indifference, we proclaim through our words and our actions, (laughs) I don't know Him. I don't know the man. He doesn't mean anything to me. Finally, we talk about these overarching symptoms. Lack of faith, unbelief. I think about when Jesus invited Peter to walk with him, to be with him on the water, and took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to sink, and Jesus asked him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? We think about the concepts of faith and commitment. Commitment's a banking term. Think about entrusting something, trust funds, investing. You invest your time, your talent, your treasure, in things you believe in, and things you believe are going to give you the return on investment you're seeking. And so if we're not investing our time, our talent, and our treasure in the Lord and His kingdom, then that's a reflection of the fact that we believe we can get a greater return on investment somewhere else. And so these are the symptoms of the problem that we need to be looking for. We need to identify these things in our life so we can admit, I've got a problem. I need help. I've digressed in some way. But we need to also understand these are symptoms, not the actual problem. And sometimes we get so caught up trying to treat symptoms, we never address the actual problem producing the symptoms. Think about symptoms, the thing about being sick. The fever and all those things are symptoms of the actual disease, the actual problem. Think about one of the trips I took to India, I think the third or fourth time I went to India, I got about as sick as I've ever been. And I don't believe in modern day demon possession, but if I did, it happened. And the vomiting, some of the other symptoms I won't share with you, uh, were, were symptoms, though. They weren't the problem. I'll tell you what the problem was. The problem was I was dumb enough to eat fried bread off the side of the road that Wandanam had bought in a rural village in a third-world country called India. And I wasn't a rookie. That wasn't my first trip. I knew better. That was the problem. And so we've got to look for these symptoms and signs, but then we've got to find the problem. And I want to tell you if... These symptoms are present in our life. They're symptoms of the problem. I want to tell you what the problem, ultimately, when you trace it back, I want to tell you what the symptom is, a lack of love and commitment to the Lord and His church. That's what we've got to figure out. That's what we've got to address. And so what causes that? And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the symptoms and the causes. They often go hand in hand. What causes distance in our relationship with the Lord? I think about the... Now, Jesus summarized what I believe are the causes prevent us from following Him in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Hard ground, not receptive to the truth, stubbornness, 
rocky ground, adversity. We're scorched by the sun and trials, and we begin to drift and follow from a distance. Maybe for us in our culture, in our environment, it describes us the most frequently, the most often thorny ground. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in it chokes and extinguishes the spiritual life. So as we zoom in and we look at the things, the causes, specifics that cause us to drift and digress spiritually, think about your associations. Think about times in your life where you felt distant from the Lord, and then think about your relationships. Maybe think about being a teenager. Some of the indiscretions maybe in your youth or times where you felt like you weren't making decisions that were keeping you close to Christ like you needed to be. What were your associations like? What kind of relationships did you have? Think about how you'll see sometimes kids raised in a good home. Good kids raised in a good home, and they grow up, they get older, and they drift, they digress, and maybe sometimes they completely deny the faith. And we look up and we tragically ask, how did this happen? What happened? Who exposed them to drugs and alcohol and pornography and atheism? Very often their friends, their teammates, their classmates, their boyfriend, their girlfriend. There's a saying, we're often the sum total of your five closest relationships. It's who you are. We are all, as the saying goes, to a certain extent, products of our environment, influenced by our environment. And so we have to constantly ask, do the people we most closely and intimately associate with, not that we don't associate with those in the world in an effort to bring them to Christ, but our inner circle like Jesus had, do they make us want to confess our faith in the Lord, confess Christ, confess our sin, repent, or do they make us want to deny the Lord? We read in verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance and he was sitting with the guards and ordering himself out the fire. I want to tell you, it's hard to remain loyal and committed to Jesus when you're sitting with his enemies. In an effort to lose himself in the crowd, Peter lost himself. He lost his Lord and he denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Fear. We read in John 12 of those who believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And this speaks to us. This fear of being identified with Jesus. The fear of an awkward moment. The fear of a strain in a relationship. Because we have a greater fear of that than we have a, we have a, a greater need for the approval and praise of men than we do for the approval and praise of God. And a greater fear of disapproval of men than we have of the disapproval of God. You know, Peter wanted to be close enough to see and observe what happened, but far enough to not get into any danger, any trouble, to not risk anything. He didn't want to follow Jesus into the danger zone. I think that speaks to us very often. An effort of self-preservation and trying not to take a risk and avoid danger, Peter took the greatest risk you could ever took. He did the most dangerous thing possible by allowing distance between him and his Lord and Savior. And I think there will be times where we have this fear of being associated with Jesus where we will all be tempted to not be identified with Jesus. And like Peter, when he was invited to be with the Lord and walk with the Lord in the water, our fear can collide with our faith and we begin to sink. Similarly, complacency in Mark 14, in preparation for the cross, Jesus takes Peter and James and John with him and asked them to pray with him, and he keeps finding them sleeping. And he said, could you not 
Simon Peter, sleepest thou? Could you not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And I think this often describes us. We can't stay awake. And so we're admonished over and over, watch and wait. Don't let your guard down. Because when we aren't all in, when we try to follow Jesus half-heartedly at a distance, we begin to relax. And when you relax, you begin to allow things back into your life that Jesus delivered you from. And you grow complacent regarding your study and your prayer habits, your ministry activities, your evangelistic endeavor, your thought habits, your lust, your language, your morality, your modesty, your honesty, your marriage, your parenting. And if I have this attitude that I'm close enough, it's good. We talk about being good enough for the government where I work, which isn't very good. If that's our attitude as a Christian in the kingdom, I'm close enough, I've arrived, that's a symptom and a cause that you are following from a distance. Because when I get close to Jesus, when Christ is in me and I'm in Him, I realize it's never enough. Never close enough. As Paul talks about, I press onward and upward every day. I keep pushing. I keep pressing. And so when I do the the root cause, and I think of times in my life where I was following Jesus from a distance, times where I've digressed and drifted spiritually, and I get beyond the signs and the symptoms, that I know something's wrong, and I trace it back to the heart of the matter. You know what I find? Pride and selfishness nearly every time. Think about when Jesus told the disciples and told Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. Never. He was humble enough to recognize he didn't deserve this humble act of service, and yet he was still arrogant enough to dictate to his master. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. He said, you're not going to do that either. You're going to deny me three times, yet if all be offended, I won't. You know, selfishness drives a wedge in any relationship, including our relationship with the Lord. And so if I find myself distant in my relationship with God and with other people, I tell you, I'm probably self-centered. I'm living a life of self-centeredness. I'm probably self-centered instead of God-centered. The Bible says that He exalts the humble and the contrite. He's near to the contrite, the broken, but the proud will not stand in His presence. We think about how pride and ego prevented the Pharisees from following Jesus. And like Peter, our pride causes us to boast about what we would do or what we would never do. That'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to my faith, my family, my fellowship. And then it does. We see congregations and marriages that are seemingly invincible until they're not. You know, Peter was in Jesus' inner circle. How could somebody so close to the Son of God to see all the things that he saw, to hear all the things that he heard, and yet he denied them not once, not twice, but three times? I want to tell you, if it can happen to Peter, it can certainly happen to me. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So perhaps... Again, in our culture and circumstance and our environment, the cause so often for us, thinking about thorny ground, worldliness and distractions. We read that he followed him at a distance. He was sitting with the guards and he was warming himself at the fire. That's very illustrative of our problem. We're too busy trying to be warm in this life, comfortable in this life. And I think Satan maybe has changed tactics in the first century. He, the blood of, of Christians, of martyrs, was a seed of the kingdom and it helped... It helped spread the gospel like wildfire. And I think maybe he's pivoted and he's like Delilah lulling Samson on her, to sleep on her lap. He's changed tactics. 
through worldliness and distraction. He's lulling us to sleep. You know, research shows that highly intelligent people are able to focus. They're able to lock in on what really matters. They're able to uh, ignore large objects in the background to focus on a smaller object in the foreground. They zone in. And I submit to you that's the case for spiritually intelligent people as well. Research shows that distractions will decrease your IQ. I think, I can't remember the exact number, 20 to 40 points. Somebody says, that doesn't sound like a lot. I have plenty to spare. Well, that take you from the average adult to an eight-year-old child because you're not paying attention. And I think about so many times when I'm frustrated with my kids, it's because they're not paying attention. My wife's always reminding me they're just kids. But we see what distractions do to us. You've, you've seen maybe humorous YouTube videos where people are trying to text and walk at the same time, and they walk into water fountains. <laughs> they walk into the side of buildings. We've also seen the effects of texting and driving, haven't we? And it's not as funny. Think about it, a time I was in a wedding in Dallas, and it was a big church, and the lighting wasn't very good. It was kind of dark, but they had a baptistry on the stage right, right there. And we were up on the stage rehearsing, and I was really nervous about that. I had my eye on that baptistry. I had no intention of getting rebaptized that night. But my, my, my friend, the groom, his aunt was taking pictures. You can see where this is going. He was taking pictures, she was taking pictures of the rehearsal, and we were rehearsing or practicing, and pretty soon we heard a loud splash, and she had fallen in. And I've never seen somebody get out of a baptistry. She had crawled over the side of that. Uh, I've never seen somebody climb out of a baptistry so quick. She was humiliated, and there was a moment, a brief moment, of concern from the family until they realized she was okay, and then she didn't hear the, the end of it the rest of the night. That's what happens. We're not paying attention to where we're walking. The Bible talks about walk circumspectly. We're not walk, watching while, where we're stepping. We talk a lot about that where, we, where I work, where many of us work at Pantex. They talk about eyes on the path, and obviously safety is a major point of emphasis where we work. And they'll put out safety reports each week, lost time injuries and things that have happened and lessons learned and all these things. And I'll, I'll confess, I find some amusement and entertainment out of them sometimes. Probably shouldn't, but some of my favorites, a um, person was carrying cardboard box outside. And as you know, it's windy out here. And the wind caught the cardboard box and smacked somebody in the face behind them. And so we do meetings to figure out how that happened and how can we prevent that from ever happening again. Another one, somebody had rolled their ankle on a curb and tore their ACL because they didn't have eyes on path. They weren't watching where they were walking. And I can sympathize with that. Many of you know I tore my Achilles. Probably my favorite, and some of them are really amusing because they use such technical language. A person lacerated, that was the term used in the report, lacerated their finger, almost cut their finger off and had to get stitches, caught it on the toilet handle, flushing the toilet. And so we have these meetings again. How did this happen? How can we prevent this from ever happening again? And we get training on how to flush a toilet correctly. That's your money, hard at work, you know. But what you eventually realize when you do the root cause and you do all these meetings and you type all these resources trying to figure out what happened, eventually you get to the point you can't fix, you know what. And eventually people have to pay attention to what they're doing. But that's what we try to do in government. We try to fix that. That's where I work. You know, I think about Jesus talking about a house divided can't stand. Heart divided can't stand. Maybe we're not close to Jesus because our heart, our affection, our desire, our joy is somewhere else. Our pearl of great price is something else. 
And so we've talked about the symptoms, we've talked about the problem, we've talked about the causes. What's the solution? How do we close the gap? How do we close the distance? I think we have to guard against those things that cause the distance that we just talked about. That's the solution. Don't do the things that cause you to digress spiritually. Be diligent to guard against that. I think about when Jesus talked about sweeping out the house of demons, but you can't just leave it empty. You've got to fill the void. Righteousness is not just, what are we against? It's not just about the negative. It's just about the, it's as much about the positive. What are we actually for? And so we've got to fill our lives and our activities, our budgets, our schedules, our hearts, our minds, not just by getting rid of the things we're against. We've got to get full of the things that we're for. We've got to fill our lives, our budgets, our schedules, our homes, our heart, our mind, our time, our talent, our treasure with godly activity. Or it'll be worse in the beginning. And we have to do that on a daily basis. Luke 9, 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, if you want to be close to me, let him deny himself. We talked about selfishness. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to do that on a daily basis because there's this tendency to digress. And we see that. We see that in nature. We see that in the laws of thermodynamics and entropy. Things wear out. Our car, our house, our body. I've seen that in my own body. You know, Coming out of high school, I was in the best shape of my life. Played three sports, played year-round. Almost every day I was doing strenuous activity. And then I quit doing strenuous activity. I did a little bit of intramural, which wasn't very strenuous. Had a girlfriend, became a fiancé, became a wife focused on my academics, and pretty soon I quit exercise. If I'd maintained that by doing something, at least weekly, daily, I could have maintained that. But what happened is I digressed. I drifted to the point that today, years later, I work on the second floor of a building, and I can get winded going up and down those stairs. That's what happens. We quit doing those things that you got to do daily to stay in shape spiritually, and pretty soon we look up and we're a completely different person. So we talk about how we close the gap, daily diligence, daily study. Going back to John 15, where he talked about if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're going to bear much fruit. And he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if conditional you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Think about your closest relationships, your most intimate relationships. It's based on knowledge. Talk about communication being the key to intimate relationships. The people you're closest to are people you know best. Think about my most intimate relationship is with my wife, and I know her better than anybody. She knows me better than anybody. She knows my strengths and my weaknesses. And I want to tell you it's hard to stay close to Jesus if you don't know who He is and where He is, if you don't know who you are and where you are. In His Word, John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can't be in Christ if you're not tethered to the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's our objective reference point, not our subjective feelings. It's our north star. It's our compass. It's the lamp into our feet, the light into our feet path. And if you don't stay tethered and anchored in the Word of God, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, you're going to be tossed to and fro by lies and false doctrine. Had Peter heeded the words of Jesus, he could have stayed close and prevented distance from developing in his relationship with the Lord. And so if you're falling from a distance, you need to get into the Word and you need to let the Word get into you. Talk again about communication. God talks to us through His Word And I would encourage you to begin and end every day by reading, studying the Word of God, and then incorporate what you read into your prayers. Pray in the language of Scripture. Something you read, pray about that. Some concept, something in there, pray about that. Pray in the language of Scripture. We've talked about that some recently. Using the Lord's Prayer 
And Matthew 6 is a template, as a framework, as an outline for the things that we pray about and how we pray and what we pray about. Pray with Paul and the things that Paul prayed about and see if you can match your prayers to the prayers we have and find in Scripture. Often I've discovered my prayer life was not as intimate as it should be because I'm not praying the prayers of Scripture. I'm not praying for the things that I should be praying for. Pray the Psalms. You know, the Psalms aren't just a songbook, they're a prayer book. Virtually every human experience and emotion is contained in the Psalms. So whatever you're going through, go find a Psalm and, and tie it to, pray uh, within the context of what's going on in your life. We read earlier, watching and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. I want to tell you, if you feel distance in your relationship with the Lord, take a good, long, hard look at the quantity and the quality of your prayer life. And I would encourage you just to begin and end every day studying the Word of God. Pray throughout the day. Our prayers don't have to always be five to ten minutes long. They have to be long. Be short and sweet sometimes. Have a dialogue with God throughout the day. Before a meeting, before something's happening, pray a brief prayer to the Lord to help you. Whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, and see how that affects the intimacy of your relationship. Daily fellowship and involvement. We talked about if we're in Christ, we're involved in the church. They continue daily, Acts 2, and fellowship and evangelism and ministry. I want to tell you one of the best things you can do to get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus is be involved in activities to bring others close to Jesus, to help others stay close to Jesus. As you see that zeal and that fire of an initial convert, their testimony, and it reminds you of your initial zeal and enthusiasm that maybe waned, that maybe you lost. And it takes you back to that. It ties you back to that. And when we get involved in those activities, it makes it hard for ourselves and those that we influence to walk away from something so wonderful as this because we've invested, we've involved our time, our talent, our treasure. That's where our heart is. And we make it really hard to walk away. Finally, daily confession, Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, a reference to baptism. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering free is faithful that promised. Our belief in Christ, our faith in Christ has to be confessed in everything that we are and everything that we do. Our budgets, our schedules, our appearance, our attitude, our language, our relationships. Everything that we do, lest we become like those who profess they know God, but in works they deny Him. And we confess Christ, our faith in Christ, also when we confess our sin, our need for Christ, our need for the blood of Christ our belief in the power of the blood of Christ. We confess that through repentance. We recalibrate. We exit to get close to Christ. You know, I think about how scary it is to be lost. Have you ever been lost somewhere? you ever tried to follow somebody in a high-traffic area, maybe in Houston or Dallas, and you can't keep up and you lose them? That's very frustrating. I think about before we had GPS on our phones, when I started driving... I printed directions off of MapQuest. I mean, you might remember that. But the problem was, if you made one wrong move, one wrong step, now what do you do? Think about losing people, not just through death, but think about times, uh, you know, I lost my wife one time on, the, on a mountain in, in Colorado. We had hiked up this mountain, and we got up there a long way, and there was a ridge. I wanted to hike to the top of that ridge to get a good view, and Kelsey didn't want to do that. She was done. She said, I'm staying here. So being the typical male that doesn't understand women and doesn't listen to women, I interpreted that literally, and I thought that meant she was going to stay there. What I should have known is that was figurative, like the book of Revelation, and as soon as I got out of sight, she was going to hike up that ridge. 
So I get up on that ridge, I look around, and I come down a different way, down the path to where my wife is supposed to be, and she's not there, and I'm panicked. You know, she fall off the mountain, she was she abducted, I'm looking all over the place, now I'm getting really winded, really tired, and eventually I went to the one place I knew she wasn't going to be, on top of that ridge, and I found my wife. Now I had to sit down, I, mean, I don't know if it was altitude sickness or altitude anger, but we huffed and we puffed down that mountain, it was very romantic. Another time we were on a mountain, I guess the moral of these stories, we need to quit going to the mountains and start going to the beach. Another anniversary trip, very romantic. We were in Italy on our five-year anniversary, and we hiked up a mountain, and it got dark a lot quicker than we thought it would, and we didn't have a light. Uh, We were trying to get off this mountain in an unfamiliar place, and we couldn't see where we were walking. We couldn't see what we were doing. It was very scary about losing Lincoln, losing your child. And we've done that. Sadly, it's like Home Alone. It's happened multiple times, unfortunately, already. Uh, if you know Lincoln, you're probably not surprised that we've lost him several times, but Kyson and Lincoln were going to run bases after a sod poodle game one time, and we told the older brother, we told Kyson, you make sure Lincoln goes where he's supposed to go because he has a tendency to not do that. And somehow, Kyson did not fulfill that responsibility, and we lost Lincoln. Couldn't find Lincoln after the kids had run the bases. Some of you remember this. We have many witnesses to this. We were at a Canyon football game a couple years ago, and Kelsey was taking Kyson down to the field. He was running out on the field before the game. And so I had Lincoln. We're walking. We see brethren. We see church members, and we stopped talking to them. I thought Lincoln was on my leg, and he walked all the way to the other end of the stadium. And we look around. Where's Kelsey comes back. Where's Lincoln? You know, that of the year award. And people are, you know, we go talk to the to police officers. We're talking, you know, what's he wearing? He's wearing purple like the thousands of other people here. And they're just about to get on the PA announcement. We're clear to everybody, the Parent of the Year Award. And Jessica, I think, was up in the stands, and she saw some lady had grabbed Lincoln way on the other end of the stadium. He's crying, and she went and got Lincoln. It's very scary. It's scary when you're lost. It's even scary when you're lost and you don't realize it. And you don't realize, I need help. You won't admit it. And even scarier than that is when you're lost and you know it and you don't care. And so what are the results of following Jesus closely? Why should we do that? Well, I think we find a zeal and enthusiasm for life. I'm not going to live this one life going through the motions. I'm going to find purpose and meaning and live a life worth living that really makes a difference. You know, Peter didn't completely forsake the Lord like some of the other disciples, but he didn't stay close either. It was a half-hearted, lukewarm attempt to follow Christ, and that describes so many of us so often. Lord, Lord, he wanted to follow Jesus but at a distance. He wanted to follow without risking anything. He loved the Lord. He didn't want to prove it. He didn't want to show it. He believed. (laughs) He just didn't want to proclaim it. He didn't want to pay the price. What do you do to make something lukewarm? How do you make something lukewarm? You do nothing. Instead of changing the world, the world begins to change us. And if we aren't completely committed and devoted to the Lord and His church pretty soon... The world's going to look more and more attractive and appealing to us, and we're going to find ourselves in this crossroad in our journey in life where you either get on the boat or stay on the dock. Get on the train or get off the tracks. You can't be half all in. You can't be close or far off. You can't be kind of married. You're either in or you're out. Jesus said you're either with me or you're against me. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no backup plan. You're either committed, faithful, devoted, or you're not. You can't be a follower that doesn't follow. 
So don't claim you'll die for somebody, as Peter did, if you won't live for him. Don't sing, Jesus is all the world to me, and where he leads I'll follow if he's not and you won't. But when we get close to Jesus and we have this interaction with Jesus, like those on the, the road to Emmaus, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? We have hearts on fire. We find a zeal and a passion for living life, for living the abundant life that you won't find living for anything else. And the result is we have the daily growth we read about in Acts that Jesus promised in John 15 because we're crucified with Christ and Christ lives in us. And we make the world a better place. We make the community a better place because we have stronger churches, made up of stronger families, made up of stronger individuals. And the result is we're blessed we receive daily blessings through that daily diligence in this life and the life to come. You know, to turn to Christ, you have to turn away from some things maybe that you once held precious. That's the sacrifice you got to make. And I want to tell you, it's not a bad deal. That's the point here. Peter's saying, you know, we left all to follow you. I don't know if that was arrogance or if that was kind of a little bit of, you know, we're having to give up a lot of things to follow you. I'll tell you, it's the best deal you'll ever find. It's the best deal you'll ever be offered. And if you think the cost of following Jesus is great, and it is, necessarily so, the gospel is costly. But if you think the cost of following Jesus is so great that it's a bad deal for you or for anyone else, you're calling Jesus a liar. The cost is great, but the reward is greater. And what we give up can't compare to what He gave up and what He gives to us. Psalm 63, 7 and 8, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul follows hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Psalm 73, 27 and 28, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring or unfaithful from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. We have to invite Jesus into our homes, into our schedules, our budgets, our lives, our hearts our minds, our souls, and we see the benefits and blessings of those who did that, who invited, who welcomed Jesus into their life and their home. But to do that, I have to be close enough to Jesus to be touched by Him, like the woman who touched the hem of His garment or Zacchaeus that climbed the tree. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When that becomes our song, our anthem, our motto, our priority, our perspective, our pearl of great price, our anthem, our hearts desire the air we breathe. We'll close the gap. We'll do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And as we offer an invitation this morning, if you need to do that, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 about those who were outside of Christ. Well, one time you were outside of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off or made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. We're reconciled to God through Christ, through the blood of Christ. We're brought back together in a relationship with God through Christ, through the blood of Christ, by contacting that blood, by obeying the gospel and baptism. I tell you, it's the best invitation, the best deal you'll ever find. And if you need to respond to it, you have that opportunity this morning to come close to God through Christ and the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're here as a Christian, you've done that, and maybe you feel like you've drifted. The first step is being humble enough to say, I have a problem and I need help. The prayers of those who love me. One who follows Christ from a distance, afar off, can be brought near. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood continues to cleanse us and reconcile us to God. One who was falling from a distance can be brought near and be used to do great things in the kingdom. That's what happened to Peter. 
and God can use you too. I'm going to ask where you are this morning. Where are you? Jesus said in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Revelation 14, 4, These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. What about you? Where are you? Think about the question God asked Adam and Eve. Where art thou? Where are you? And it wasn't, he wasn't asking for information. <laughs> he knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what we think, what we say, what we do. He's asking for conviction, for us to pause, to look in the mirror. I think one of the most convicting scenes in the entire Bible, when the rooster crowed, third time Peter denied the Lord a third time, and Jesus, we're told, looked at him. A look of pain, a look of hurt, a look of disappointment, a look of conviction that said, I know what you did. Where are you this morning? Where are you in relationship to God through Jesus Christ? Where are you? He's not asking for information. He's asking for conviction. If you need to respond to that invitation, the Lord has offered the invitation. Come unto me. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. If you need to do that this morning, the Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing.